Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. As you can hear, my voice is a little better from where it was on Monday. Uh, that was after a weekend of carousing and gallivanting and late night hijinks with the Arsenal Vision crew after the uh, the event that we had on Saturday night, as well as being at football. Um, you know, you've got to shout at things when you're at football, and that had a um, a damaging effect on my vocal cords. But I'm getting there, and I'm feeling a little more human after a, a couple of days uh, of rest at home. But uh, what an amazing weekend, and what an amazing thing to be to be back at Arsenal to watch a game of football again. I know I spoke to James about this on the uh, on the Arscast Extra on Monday, but it was it was great. It was great. I I, I always knew I missed it. But I didn't quite realize how much I missed it. And uh, just being back around the stadium, match day, all of that stuff, it was, it was fucking great. And I cannot wait uh, to do it again. So we'll, uh, we'll get on board with all that next season, early next season as well. So here we are. Season's over. We are where we are. We finish where we finished. Um, that discussion, I think, has been done to death. And we're now looking forward a little bit. But we are going to talk about um, how the season ended and some reflections on that with my guest in a couple of moments' time. Just a little bit of, of uh, housekeeping, if you want to call it housekeeping. I don't know what else you call it. Just... Um, podcast nonsense waffle um anyway the the point is what i'm trying to say is that for the event on saturday we got uh, a load of arseblog badges made up just the arseblog logo on the little pin badges uh, our good friend will from at n5n7 badges uh, did all the heavy lifting there so thank you very much indeed to him and everyone who came to the show was given a free badge but we had some left over so if you want an Arsblog badge, you can get one for free right now uh, at the Tollington. They have the rest of them there. So why not during these uh, next couple of weeks pop in, have a pint, have a bite to eat, and get yourself a free Arsblog badge? I think if you are going in, you should probably buy a pint. That seems fair, doesn't it? Uh, then it's not necessarily a free badge, but you're going to have a pint anyway. It's going to be a warm summer's day. You can sit out in the beer garden, watch the world go by, drink your cool, cool beer, and behold the splendor of this uh, of this enamel badge. I might be overselling it a bit here, but look, if you want one, that's where they are. They're in the Tollington and if you get one, why not just post it on Twitter, post it uh, uh, to me and post it to the Tollington's Twitter account and we'll say thank you and hello and all that kind of stuff. Uh, a few people have asked what the 
what the podcast situation is going to be like during the summer. It will be the same schedule, of course. Uh, we'll do Monday, Arscast Extra. We will do regular Arscast on a Friday. And we'll keep things going over on Patreon as well with some extra podcasts and bits and pieces for you. Transfer podcasts uh, come into play and we'll do we'll do as much as we can do for everybody. I am taking a bit of a holiday in July, so that'll be a week off. But a week will absolutely fly by, particularly as by that stage in July, I'm sure we'll have made all the high, high quality signings we're going to make for the summer. The squad is settled, all there for preseason. Nobody needs to talk about anything. We just want the football to start again. Anyway, look, I'll tell you more about that closer to the time, but just forewarned is forearmed and all that kind of stuff. Right, let's get on with today's show. And with me, I am delighted to welcome back, as always, Philippe Auclair. Bonjour, Philippe. Bonjour, Andrew. Ça va? Très bien, I think. Well, no, not très, but like slightly bien. I think okay. slightly bien is okay. Um, it was a, it was a it was a big weekend last weekend. I'm still recovering, doing my best. Uh, you know, uh, three nights on the trot. When you get to a certain age, is takes a lot out of you. You know how it goes. Yes, I do actually. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> so look, let's start um, by me asking you on your reflections on. The end of the Premier League season for Arsenal, uh, fifth mm-hmm. place. Uh, you know the the uh, the dust has settled a little bit now on what was. You know, I think everybody would accept a disappointing last couple of weeks, but with a little bit of time to consider and to ponder where we are, what we've done, how we've got there, and all the rest. How do you how do you sum up the season? I think I'm a bit Vicky Pollard about it. Uh, yes, but no, but 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 I would finish with a yes. At, okay. So m- more more yes than no, more up than down, uh, more satisfied than disappointed. Even though there's a bit of disappointment, but there's perhaps more satisfaction. Okay. Um, I mean, in fairness, you know, if you look at the, uh, I mean, the disappointment perhaps is the fact that. This was an ideal season in which perhaps to uh, grab a place in the top four uh, with Manchester United imploding every weekend, which of course was extremely funny, but uh, should should have really helped us. Uh, Spurs having problems as well at the beginning of the season and uh, their change of manager. Fortunately, they, they got a rather good one. Uh, but and, and of course, no... No competition in Europe, so which meant that we could concentrate 100% on the league, and despite that, just fell at the last hurdle. And as well, when you look at, uh, I mean, and I'm actually doing it right now. I'm looking at the list of fixtures uh, throughout the season, and I'm groaning. <laughs> yeah. Because I remember the beginning. You know, okay, there was COVID in the ranks and so forth, and preseason had been. Hadn't been what it should have been, but to start with three defeats and be at twenty years after three games. Then the positive side, so that was the no but, the yes but comes in, and you think, well, from this position we were able to come back, and we had actually a really really good, um, you know, four months in the in the season, something which we haven't had for a long time, in which perhaps the only disappointment was the the draw against Burnley uh, mm. in late January. But apart from that, I mean, it was win after win after win and the game against Manchester City, which uh, probably was the best performance we gave, I think, all season, the first 45 minutes. So you think, yeah, I mean, there, there are loads of signs that things have been improving. 
uh, if you look at what's been happening on the pitch, the fact that we seem to score quite regularly from set pieces these days is an interesting and welcome development, as is uh, the pendant to that development, which is the fact we concede very few from those situations compared to the past. So progress has been made. Uh, but again, the disappointment is that we've lost key players at key times. And it's really highlighted the fact that this squad, even though the first 11 or first 13 is of excellent quality and can really challenge for, you know, a place in the top six or top four, what is behind is not quite to level required of that. When we compare with the other clubs, it's, it's just, well, there's no comparison. And I, I was actually um, looking at something that uh, Kieran Maguire, you know, of the price of football um, yeah. has, has done. Uh, and he's compared the place, that, you know, uh, the positions in the Premier League table to the positions in what I would call the wage bill table. And you look at that and you realize that despite the fact we do spend a lot of money on player salaries, we're nowhere near the guys from the top four. Nowhere. You know, so that's, there's a differential of something like almost like 100 million pounds, which is huge. So basically you get what you pay for. And I think we got pretty much what we paid for. And, and you, you, you can hear me saying one thing, and not saying the contrary, but there is always a qualifier when we say this was great. Even when we talk about the performances of, of the players, we could say Thomas Partey, oh, he was great, but when he was playing, oh, Tommy Yasu, what a wonderful signing. Yeah, but he got injured. And you carry on like that. Yeah. And you... And, so if you're generous, and I want to be generous, I think you could see it as a season of transition, which has also been a season of progress, and in which some problems have been solved, not all of them. You know, we had the Obama-Young situation to, uh, to go through as well, which was not exactly pleasant, but the team seemed to survive uh, and to go through it and not to be too uh, shocked or, uh, or put in disarray by, by, by you know, the, what followed. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, there's regrets. I mean, it's, we're, we were so close. And you, th you think as well of those three games, Andrew, in April against Palace, Brighton and Southampton. You think not one single point from those three games. Yeah. And, and then we take nine from games against Chelsea, Manchester United and West Ham. I mean, how crazy is that? I mean, how does that... Uh... You know, because you could, you could, and I think I have in some ways driven myself a bit mad looking at all the things, you know, like you say, those three games where we got no points. And I think back to the Everton game, Everton hadn't won a game in about three years before they played us. They didn't win a game for about three years after they played us, but somehow managed to beat us. And I think of those games, I think of, you know, various things, various in incidents that, that could have gone our way that didn't quite go our way. There were, uh, you sent me a little message, um, before we started recording the Premier League table without VAR and we finish in fourth place on 73 points and that doesn't even take into account games like Everton away when they should have been down to 10 men Palace home when they should have been down mm -hmm. to 10 men and I, I look at where we are and I look at where we finished and I look at how close we came to the top four with some very very important pieces missing from this squad you know a, a consistent regular striker we know we needed something else in midfield we miss Tommy Asu, we miss Kieran Tierney, we miss Thomas Partey, all of those things. And I'm slightly encouraged by the ability to get to that point with all those flaws. And then there's another part of me, of course, which, you know, uh, has to acknowledge that.
that as a as a, a club or uh, you know t- talking about Mikel Arteta, talking about the technical director, the board, all of those people involved, they made decisions which played into some of those um, mm. those uh, what am I talking about missing pieces or whatever you want to call it. You know, so it, it is possible to sort of look and think if only on so many levels. Yep. Um, yes, but I think that we completely agreed. We're having this, con- we're having conversation, the two of us, but we're having a conversation with ourselves at the same time. Mm. Is that, I think we've all been, it has been almost every single chat I've had with other um, Arsenal fans after the games, you know, when you look at what's happened at the barn or whatever. And it's always, um, oh, it was a great day, but... Uh, it was a table day, but, you know, they're still young, you know, progress and so forth. So it's always been, it's been like one of those slightly melancholy autumn skies where there is some sunshine, but loads of clouds coming. Mm. Maybe I should say the spring because the autumn is followed by winter and we don't want that. So maybe one of the, yes, those moments perhaps in March when you think there's a sign of spring in the air, but uh, there's always a, a mm. cloud which is there to, you know, to ruin it for, for you. Yeah. <laughs> Say, oh, no, no barbecue today. No, no, no. No Champions League. No Champions League. But, you know, uh, Arsenal is back in Europe, by the way, which is, okay, it's only the Europa League. Um, but it, I think it would be welcomed by most fans, the prospect of uh, seeing football played. Uh, at uh, at the Grove uh, on you know on winter nights and spring nights uh, we hope sure um, something which we have missed honestly uh, I mean financially it's also a big blow obviously because the differential is is just colossal the differential is probably the the equivalent of um, the acquisition of a of a very 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 good player yeah uh, so that's not too good we don't want to think too much about that. Do you, I mean, uh, I was going to raise this a little bit later on, but um, we've had a couple of contract extensions this week. Mohamed El Neni, who I think is a very good squad player, um, yep. I think is a useful player, uh, given his experience and, and everything else. And I think just in terms of his character, somebody who understands his role, that he's not going to be a starter. He's not going to be the main man if we can keep people fit. But we know we've got a long season and not everybody stays fit. So I think on that basis, um, you know, it, it made a lot of sense to me to give him a deal. It was It's a one-year plus one-year uh, option which mm-hmm. the club can choose to take up. So you're not hamstringing yourself. It is not like giving... Willian, £200,000 a week for three years. You know, it's not that kind of a deal. It doesn't stand in anyone's way, and it makes sense. But the other one is Eddie Nketiah, who um, had a good end to the season. And it looked for a while as if he was going to go, and now it appears that he's going to stay. And you reference the the disparity in money between the Europa League and the and the Champions League. And I do wonder if, in some way... His future, from an Arsenal perspective, has been decided by that disparity. That if you if you have that money, mm. maybe maybe you push the boat the boat out for another forward. Whereas without it, you have to say, okay, we can't do that. We've got to find another solution. They wanted to keep Eddie anyway. I'm not just saying they they want to keep him because we don't have that money, but I do feel like perhaps that that fed into um, the what looks like to be the likely outcome of this situation. It's a tricky one because 
also, as far as uh, Nketiah himself is um, is concerned, if the club gets uh, another proven class striker, which I certainly hope and I think they will, he's going to be number two. He's not going to play an awful lot because um, Arteta doesn't play with two strikers and um, he, he can't play the withdrawn striker. He's, he's a purely he's, he's a fox in the box. Mm. That's the first thing. I was... You know, I'm 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 very much um, of the dubitative kind when it comes to this to this contract. I agree with you entirely with uh, Mohamed Al Neni. I think it, it's an excellent idea. It's great for the players, great for the club. We're all happy. The fans like him. He likes us. He gets it. You know, welcome. You can stay, please. Uh, but and Ketia, I mean, my appraisal of him has, has changed a bit. I must say this season. Because before that, if I'm absolutely honest, and I think we've spoken about Eddie a few times in the past, mm. perhaps maybe not always with a microphone on, I've never thought he was up to the level required of a Premier League striker, ever. I think that technically his first touch is not, not that good enough. And I don't think it's going to progress much. Uh, I think that he's not, yeah, he's not skillful enough. Sorry to say that, um, it's a bit brutal. He's a great finisher, he's very brave. I absolutely loved that header against Everton, which I thought that that was that was absolutely superb. That was pure reaction. That was pure uh, instinct, uh, proper instinct uh, in the box. But I I genuinely didn't think that he had the qualities required. And what he's done that towards the end of the season makes you think. Well, actually, you know, it's perhaps this opinion is tainted by the fact that a we've had some extraordinarily skillful strikers in the past at our club. We'd be very lucky with that. Mm -hmm. And we expect a certain level of skill and, and elegance, I suppose, or class or style from our forwards, which he doesn't have. He's more a Trezeguet than an Henri, for example. But on the other hand, I'm thinking, actually, having a Trezeguet in your team is no bad thing. <laughs> mm. Even if sometimes it is like playing 10 v 11 until the moment when, you know, he puts the ball in the net. Um, so you, you can hear, yet again, I'm really uh, divided here. Again, I don't, I'm not absolutely sure I understand the logic for the player or for the club. He's... I don't think good enough to be our number one striker. I'm, I hope I'm proved wrong if he if he if he is to be indeed. And you know the numbers over the end of the season are fine, but those kind of uh, purple patches tell you very little uh, about the player. That's not what you should base your opinion of a player on. What you can see is that obviously his state of mind was right, that his dedication was absolutely faultless, uh, that he was able to perform at a time uh, when it was perhaps difficult to, for him to do so. He was not perhaps put in the best conditions by, by the, the staff either. Mm. So well done to him. But beyond that, I'm, I'm still dubitative. Do you think that because might... Because also you yeah. have... Uh, sorry, I, 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 but you also think that you have to have a striker who somehow will tail, uh, you know, dovetail with the work of the people around him and look at the players around him and... You know, they are very, very technically skilled players, all of them. You know, you talk about Odegaard, you talk about Smithrow, Saka, Martinelli. My goodness, we, we, we are blessed in this, in this, you know, as far as this is concerned. But 
somehow for me it doesn't quite fit in. It is a bit of a strange one, considering for a long time it looked, or well, the rationale for him not signing a new deal was because he wanted to play more often and play more regularly. I agree with you. I don't think he's ever going to be good enough to be the number one striker at Arsenal, but I do wonder if he might be good enough to be the backup, the number two, the -the off-the-bench guy, the guy you can throw on in the penalty box, the guy who can start the Europa League group games, Mm. the guy who could allow, let's say, Foller and Balogun to go on loan again next season, which I think would probably be the most beneficial thing for him, having played just half a season of of senior football. I really think that he's got to go and do it again for a full season, continue playing against big, strong men and learning what that's all about. So there's that aspect to it. And then I wonder as well, if in some ways it's Arsenal thinking, okay, you know, maybe he can do what we need him to do for a season or two seasons. And rather than lose a player for free, we're going to get some kind of return on him beyond what you might just get from a tribunal if he'd left on a Bosman as well. And I think one of the issues I've had down the year, I don't think that's the only reason they're giving him a deal or anything like that. But, you know, I know we've spoken about the, the need to be better at selling and moving players on and when we we move players on and and getting some return on the investment that we put into young yeah. players and and to be fair there've been a couple in recent years who've come through our academy who've made the breakthrough into the first team who've been given another contract and have then been moved on for pretty decent money I'm thinking Alex Uwobi and Joe yeah. Willock so in that sense I wonder if that played into the thinking with Eddie rather than it just being, okay, he's the guy we need. It's like, okay, we can use him, but also when the time comes, we're going to be able to shift him and perhaps invest some of that money as well. Yes. Well, that, that makes sense to me um, on condition that they already have identified um, other players other player, maybe another two players who could play in that role as a central striker. Mm. There, there's one thing which I, I'm still puzzled about. I know I, I go on a bit about that, a bit like a stuck needle in the phonograph, but uh, I still don't understand why Gabriel Martinelli is not tried at, at number nine. I, I, I just don't understand for well, the life he, of me. He spoke himself about how his favorite position is, is on the left-hand side, coming in from yeah. that left-hand yeah. side. I, I agree with you. I would okay, have liked to have fine. Seen when it, when but... Thierry arrived from Juve, he thought he was a winger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a big comparison to make, but I know exactly what you mean <laughs> because, you know, towards the end of the season when when Lacazette was, um, how will I put this, dwindling, his influence was yes. dwindling, diminishing game by game, I really thought that Martinelli down the middle ahead of Inkedia was something I would, would have liked to see. And fair play to Eddie. He came on, he's done well, he scored goals that, like... Like he scored True. goals that Lacazette could not have scored, so he made a, a fairly telling contribution in what what he allowed the team to do and how he allowed the team to play. But it has been something that I've been um, pondering myself, Martinelli on the left hand side, so or Which uh, uh, down the middle. Space sorry for, for Emil Smith Rowe. Yes, yes, um, but of course Smith Rowe has not really been yes. fit in the second half of the season True. as well, so that might might well play a part. But perhaps when we think about the the shape of the squad, the makeup of the squad for next season, Martinelli as another centre-forward option is mm. 
is one that we can consider. Um, I, I do want to talk about what we might what we might do in in some key positions, but I think we probably just need to have a word about Mikel Arteta about the manager before we we, we push on with that. Um, he's in a he's at a point in his career where I think the learning curve is very steep. Right, still, even yep. though he's been here a couple of years, he's a very young manager, still quite inexperienced and everything else, and I suspect. The last few years for him have been pretty incredible um, just from the perspective of getting a job like this, dealing with all the issues, player issues, pandemic, financial issues, no no fans in the stadium, you know, being on the brink and pulling himself back from the brink and all of those kind of things. But is there one takeaway you think you think he might take from this season? Is there one lesson you feel that that has been crucial for him uh, as we go into another season um, where, you know, he has raised the expectations now? We didn't quite get there, but we're back in Europe and we've got to stay in Europe and people are looking for us to to take another step forward under him. So do you, do you reckon there's one thing or one thing in particular that he might he might take from this campaign and think, OK, we've got to do better there? I think he's now um, set his uh, his tactical uh, objectives are clearer. I also think that um, he now has a first 13 in mind, which he didn't have before, because, you know, which is normal. But I think that we, and you know, because now we take it for granted um, throughout the season, every time we saw the the team sheet, we thought, ah, as expected. Well, as expected this season, mm. uh, things have, he's now got a settled side, which he didn't have before. There are still some question marks, obviously, about the midfield. I still have some question marks about central defense myself, but I don't have any question marks about uh, the fullbacks, if indeed uh, they can play, <laughs> they are fit to play. The, the first choice so fullbacks, the questions will be about... Yes, absolutely. Not, Cedric not, is not, perfectly fine deputy. I don't have any prime with that, but wow. we, we're, missing, we're missing another <laughs> one. Well... It depends who the, you know, again, sure. it depends who you're playing against. You're not going to have, you know, are you playing the League Cup? Are you playing the, the Europa League? Are you playing Premier League against Manchester City? I mean, it's different. You might not be sure. the same personnel. Also, uh, we have a keeper who seems to have been in that position for, for a couple of years now, which is not the case. Uh, so we, he has a settled side. He has settled the side. He's dealt, I mean, the Obama Young situation must have been extremely difficult to deal with. Um, and and he did it, I think, as well as he possibly could, given his character, his temperament. He can appear too intense. He can appear a bit too rigid sometimes. But again, as you say, he's he's only forty years old. He's one of the youngest managers in the league. Um, actually, is he is he the youngest in the league? Was it? Yes, Graham? I think he is. Yeah. He is. He is. Yeah. Yes. So to have gone that far having already also a trophy and not a small trophy to show for his work which we shouldn't forget was only two years ago um i think yes for, for him it's it's been he's for me he's matured in, in the position i i do think that yes he has he has a much clearer idea i think of what he wants to do with that particular group of player is he going to be flexible enough is the question i'm asking myself because it's one thing to have a settled side. I don't know if you've got the same impression, but I got the, the impression that it was not just a settled side. 
uh, it had settled to the extent it was not made of um, <laughs> what a comparison settled not like a jelly <laughs> okay <laughs> which you can melt and reshape in a different mold but settled like a block of concrete Sure. I'm, <laughs> yeah. you, I mean, this is really not the best simile I've ever come across, ever come with, but it will do. I, um, I know what you mean in, in that, like, he settled on something that worked and I either couldn't or didn't have the ability to change it sufficiently. Yeah. There wasn't enough variety in, in what we could do. Is that kind of yeah, fair? Yeah, that's that kind of thing. And, you know, a bit still the idea oh, we are going to impose our game and this is how we're going to win that game because we're going to impose our game. We, we don't mm. necessarily, we didn't necessarily take into uh, consideration the identity, the kind of style of our opponents. The other thing as well, which in which there is a problem, and I don't know if it's down to the manager, I am absolutely, I, I do not understand how Arsenal seems incapable to change shifts in a game change gears in sure. the game. It's one thing when you are at one of the of the crowds where where we're playing, I think after two minutes max, you know what kind of game you're going to see. And you know that it's going to be either fantastic tempo and so forth, uh a few goals, then uh basically shake with fear for the last fifteen minutes because we let one in. Mm. Or is it going to be one of those when every player is touching the ball three times more than it should, uh, is passing laterally, diagonally, and so forth, and there's no tempo, no rhythm? And you sense it immediately. And the team, for some reason, perhaps it is because it is young, because it is inconsistent, doesn't seem to have this ability to suddenly find an extra an extra gear. Uh, and, and you have to, at one point, when this happened game after game after game after game, you start to wonder if the players are not a little bit too formatted in a way and that they do not have quite the temperament on one hand, but also the uh, the, the nous, but also the encouragement to do so. Yeah, this, is, this goes back to what we uh, and you very often used to say about Arsene Wenger being, you know, a jazz guy mm. in terms of his team. Like, Mikel Arteta's Arsenal feel a bit like an orchestra that's tuned to do exactly this thing and do it amazingly, but there isn't enough improv improvisation. There's Correct. no, there's no guy who just whips out a trumpet and starts playing his own fucking tune. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, I, I agree with you on that. And certainly the ability to come back from losing positions, because when we go ahead, our record is fantastic. When we go behind, it's really not very good at all. And I think that becomes something of a, a psychological barrier that you have to get over as a team. Like, you can see sometimes, like even the, the game against Newcastle, I know there were some mitigating factors. I know that there were players running on empty in that particular game. And the occasion was something that got to them as well. But when that first goal went in, you knew. You knew it was done and dusted. And I think the players yep. in their own way, as much as they tried, knew it was done and dusted as well because it's not something that we're particularly good at. So that is part of what we've got to improve on. I absolutely agree. And and An illustration of how black and white, red and green, we are. I mean, we actually have more, one more win in the league than Chelsea. Yeah. We won one more game. 
we've drawn only three games in the whole season. Yeah. That's crazy. I don't know. The Invincibles, I think we, we drew 11 or something. 12. Like. 12. There you go. Yeah. Um, so we drew three great three games, and we won one more game than than Chelsea. That that proves that it's a, a kind of all or nothing kind of team. Yeah. Um, Should make know, a documentary full, about that. Full full <laughs> gas, or uh, you know, uh, we are reversing. Yes. It's 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 one or the other, and that is a little bit of concern. I'm sure that's a thing that Arteta and his coaches are looking at to try and understand why it is that. We're so, I don't know, we say cyclothymic in French, but um, mm. maybe maybe it exists in English. I'll use it anyway. Uh, but it's it's too not too lot. One thing or the other. Never, we, we seem to have one identity for each game. Yeah. And and that's it. And we can keep it for a series of games as we did in, uh, uh, in, in uh, the, uh, the winter, most of the winter. But other times, suddenly you see Mr. Bad Arsenal comes mm. to town. And as the little girl uh, in Tennyson's poem, when she was very, very bad, she was horrid. <laughs> and um, and so so we have been. And that's, that's, that's the one question mark. Because also, you know, when you say we, some of the players were running on empty when we played against Newcastle, um, how many of these players played more than 40 games? In the season? No, I know, I know. I mean, I don't necessarily think it was a fatigue thing. I think it was, you know, an injury thing. Uh, injury thing. Gabrielle mm. um, had a hamstring problem. Ben White had a hamstring problem, which, you know, was quite serious towards the end of the season. Tommy Asin yeah. went off. So I, I think there were just those elements to it. It wasn't, um, it wasn't really that I think they should be absolutely fatigued because they shouldn't have been. But because the squad was small, because we couldn't really rotate um, yeah. as much as we would have liked to, um, we ended up with players who were perhaps a little more uh, affected by injury. And look, I think one way of dealing with this particular thing, you can coach your way out of it, you can you can have psychological sessions and all the rest of it, but adding quality to the squad is another really important way of, of making yourself better and making your team more able to cope with in-game situations which don't go according to plan. I mean, I do think you have to plan for things which don't go according to plan, if that doesn't sound counterintuitive. But what, what do you think so far of some of the names that have been linked with the club to help give us that extra bit of quality and depth. Gabriel Jesus is the main striker target, as we know. Yuri Tilemo is the midfield target. I've even seen, and I don't know how real this is, because we're just right at the start of the transfer window, and it feels like this could be perhaps the most chaotic, mayhemish transfer window of all time, because each one seems worse than the last, uh, yeah, summer after it's summer. It's going to be awful. Yeah. I mean, what with... Um the new ownership at um, at Chelsea and what yeah. with uh, the Saudis yeah. um, at Newcastle, this is going to be terrible. But I've seen um, mention of Serge Gnabry as a potential target for Arsenal. How realistic <laughs> that might be, you know, you can all make your own minds up on that one. But those are names um, that have been doing the rounds. And certainly the first two that I mentioned, Jesus and, and Tielemon, are are very much uh, on the Arsenal list. So do they give you some encouragement as we we start to dip our toes into the murky water of the transfer uh, window? Totally. And that, that is absolutely no hesitation. I would be absolutely delighted to see one or the other player or even better, both um, playing uh, for our shirt next year. Um, 
Jesus, I think, would fit in. I mean, it's exactly what I was talking about dovetailing uh, with our other attacking players. I think he would dovetail perfectly um, with um, uh, with our other forwards. Um, he certainly would be. I mean, he's shown how versatile he was, mm. uh, and he's okay. He's not the top, top, top striker. Okay, he's not Robert Lewandowski. Fine. Uh, Dybala is another one, by the way, who's been mentioned quite a few times, but it seems that he loves Italy too much to leave it. Mm. Um, but I, w- I would have absolutely no, no problem with Gabriel Jesus. Uh, the only thing that makes me wince a little bit is the amount of money that apparently Manchester City would like to go to get for a player who ha- has never been the number, number one uh, striker and who has only got you know, a year left on his contract and they seem to want an awful, awful lot of money for that. Uh, and that, mm, I'm not too sure about this. Tielemans, I'm an absolute fan of the player. Uh, it's actually a player that I followed for uh, quite a long time because I I, I do have um, quite a few friends in, in Belgium, in Belgium football, and who a long time ago uh, alerted me to this young man saying he is the real article. Um, mm. He's the real article. He's got absolutely everything. He's also very smart. Um, he's incredibly mature. And I do think as well, uh, he would be in a team that would suit his style absolutely perfectly. This doesn't address, by the way, the fact that I still think that we are a bit sh- short in the field of so-called enforcers or players who've got greater physical presence in midfield Mm. Uh, than we have presently. And I know Thomas Partey is physically is very impressive, but he's not that kind of player. I, I really want Thomas Partey being able to drive at players, you know. Um, but, and I'm not sure he's, he's, I think we're all, we're all missing this player who maybe doesn't exist. Mm. <laughs> we mean, all want, uh, but you know, I, I've just seen like, for example, Abubakar Kamara has been taken on by Aston Villa. And I, I'm thinking, oh my God, no, I mm. wanted him. <laughs> he was free as well, you know, probably a big salary, but he was free. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's like these players like, yeah, Kavaminga or Aurelien Chouameni or, you know, Boubacar Camera, which France seems to produce at an incredible rate these days. Um, but I think we could do with one. And, and Tillemans is, is not that, but he's something else and for example the way he could link up with Odegaard in particular I'd love to see that because he's a creator uh, he's a great tempo setter uh, I think also he's, he's, whereas Shaka has got wonderful qualities in terms of his passing but only in certain contexts he finds it much more difficult as we know when there's little time and little space sure. on the ball Tillemans is much more at ease when there's more pressure I think. And he's very calm. We haven't seen the best of him, okay, this season. He's had his problems. And I think, in a way, he was um, symptomatic of the problems of of his whole team, of his whole club, which perhaps is also in need of renewal at the moment. Mm. And we shouldn't take, you know, his last... But don't think of him as being the player that we saw uh, last season. And because he's much, much better than, than that. Think of the one, you know, two years ago, three years ago. He's a is a superb midfielder. Uh, he will bring imagination 
And the range of passing is honestly wonderful. But it's not just that. He can also become, I think, a goal-scoring midfielder, which is something which is a bit missing from, from his game at the moment. It's something we have been missing as well mm. a lot, a goal-scoring midfielder, you know. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, after waxing lyrical about about this young Belgian chap, I I can conclude if we got those two, I would think that this had been an absolutely superb transfer window. I mean, clearly there's more to do than that, uh, but those two would would definitely add um, real quality to the squad. And I think the mm. the debate over midfield and what else we might need in there, because I think a lot of people would share your desire for having a bit more of a a physical presence in uh, in midfield. But if we're looking at an Odegaard, Tielemans and uh, a six in the shape of Thomas Partey or somebody um, yeah. who can deputise for Thomas Partey, whether that's um, Albert Sambi Lokonga as he develops or, or somebody else or Granit Xhaka even, um, we'll have to wait and see. And I think that one will, will play out. But I just want to move on to another addition to the squad. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. That it, it looks like we're going to make, and at long last, it seems <laughs> that William Saliba is going to play a role for Arsenal next season. I'll just read some quotes that Mikel Arteta gave during the week um, after his loan spell at, at Marseille where he was in the um, the he was the young player of the year um, in Liga I believe and yes Mikel, he was Mikel Arteta says he has to come back he has the experience and the environment necessary to be competitive with us. If he had stayed with us this year with one Premier League game per week and with Ben White and Gabriel, he wouldn't have had half the playing time he had with Marseille. That's for sure. For his growth and what he can do next season, that wouldn't have been good. Um, and basically he's saying, look, the loan spell to Marseille was the right thing for the player and the right thing for what I would assume is a longer-term plan for William Saliba, despite the fact that I think there's a perception that Mikel Arteta hates him or doesn't like him or whatever it is. And I'm not saying that Arsenal have handled this particular player as well as they might have, because I think there have been some issues. But for me, a 20-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old central defender going out on loan rather than being thrown to the Wolves at Premier League level made a lot of sense, regardless of 
you know, how much people have invested in him, uh, regardless of his price tag or anything like that. So when we think about the center of our defense next season, we have Ben White, we have Gabrielle, Rob Holding is Rob Holding, and um, <laughs> William Saliba is a, uh, you know, physically a very impressive young man. He can play on the right. He can play on the left of a two in the center of defense. He could uh, have a very good role with us. So I'm I'm curious as to your thoughts on him. And I know you watched an interview that he did. Some of the quotes were reported yeah. in, in the press in England and your um, interpretation of, of those quotes as well. Yes, let's start with that because um, – uh, by reading some of the, the headlines of the pieces you'll have seen in some British media and some French media too, you would get the impression that um, the player, if he wanted, if he could do what he really wanted to do, would stay at Marseille and would become a, a full, full-time Marseille player. Let's, let's not forget that his uh, contract uh, ends up in 2024, if not mistaken, uh, with Arsenal. Yeah. And... Um, Marseille probably would have the money to put a, a bid for him, um, especially since they've now qualified for the Champions League. And he was saying basically that he was he would be looking forward to playing on Tuesday and Wednesday evenings uh, in in the Champions League, uh, and so forth. And when you you heard it to start with, you thought, well, it doesn't sound like a player who is really desperate to go back to Arsenal into the Premier League. It didn't sound like it. And then then you think, well, okay. He was talking just after qualifying for the Champions League with Marseille, okay? Mm-hmm. So on, on the high, uh, the atmosphere was absolutely phenomenal uh, around the team, with the team, with the fans and everything. So that's another thing to keep in mind. He was also talking to French journalists and journalists from uh, the regional press and obviously would want to say things, nice things to these people. Of course, play, play the crowd like. I bet, yeah, absolutely. So you put all that together, you think, well, maybe not. But it was not, I have to say, the most uh, enthusiastic embracing of the prospect of playing in (laughs) London (laughs) next season. I've heard more positive (laughs) than that. Okay. And... um, so it might be a question of convincing the player uh, that, um, you know, uh, he does really have a future. Because the other thing, you know, he played 36 leagues game, league games with Marseille uh, this season. Uh, basically, he, is, he was the number one defender. Uh, being named the best young uh, footballer in Ligue 1 is not exactly uh, meaningless. So he now has a status which he didn't have before. Because let's be clear that we, we saw what we saw the, this year was somebody who was a great talent, who had shown, but a little bit inconsistent at times. Suddenly, he went into another dimension with Marseille. Uh, I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying that. And he would expect to have, I think he would expect to be a starter at, at Arsenal, which is a bit of a problem, isn't it? Well, I, I you know, in no? some way, look, I think that that expectation and that ambition and that level is a good thing in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, from his perspective. And I want there to be a scrap. I want there to be a fight. I want there to be competitiveness uh, in our squad. I know we've, we've talked a bit about the idea of a settle back four, and that can be really beneficial. But also, players lose form, and you've got to deal with that. So if he's coming... Um, 
willing to fight and all that kind of stuff. Like, I yeah. get that he, do- he doesn't want to come back to any club after playing regularly. Why would you want to go and sit on the bench anywhere? I get that. That's normal. No, human, no, that's, you know. that's absolutely normal. What, what I'm saying is that, um, yeah, when we talk it's, about... It's something we got to deal yeah. with, though, yeah. He, he, has, he has the talent to become a number one's choice. Mm. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt uh, about that. And given the luck we have with uh, injuries and sending offs and suspensions uh, in, in the back four, I think he will have plenty of games to play in any <laughs> case. Um, but he would be, um, I mean, he will be, hopefully, um, a great recruit as well. Mm. Um, uh, honestly, I mean, he was, he was superb with Marseille. And, um, okay, his lack of enthusiasm is something which... People shouldn't feel too uneasy about. I have to say, I, I thought the interview was a bit. It made me, it made me ask myself a few questions about his commitment. Um, but then afterwards, you put that back into the context, and you think, oh, come on, he's just qualified the Champions League with that mm. club. Of course, he's going to say he wants to play Champions League with it. Of course, he's talking. And in local papers, he's going to tell them exactly what they. To hear, he wants. Uh, he's had uh, just shared a fantastic moments with the fans. He wants to please the fans, mm. and the fans would love him to stay. But no, he's probably going to, to go back to Arsenal, and will you know the club will actually get a, a very very fine central defender. I was going to say for no money, but we actually played paid a lot of money for him a few years ago. So <laughs> we did. We're finally going to see the color of that money. Hopefully, hopefully. And I was just while we were talking, I was looking up some of the former winners of the uh, Liga Young Player of the Year. Some some reasonable names in there. Uh, <laughs> Perez, Henri, Trezeguet, Zidane, uh, Eden Hazard. Yeah, a couple, couple of decent. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So, so. yeah. Some pedigree, some pedigree in that, uh, in that situation. Look, uh, before we go, there were a couple of things I just want to talk about because yeah. um, outside of, of Arsenal, because we've got a whole summer ahead to, to pour over what Arsenal uh, can do and will do and, uh, and all the rest of it. But I just wanted to talk to you about the, the Premier League season as a whole and some of the aspects of that and the fact that Man City have won their fourth Premier League title in, in five years. Mm. I said this on the, the podcast with James on, on Monday. It just completely leaves me cold and indifferent to the champions of England, if that uh, is a weird way of putting it. But like... No. It, it's no, just like I look at it and go, well, yeah, okay. I'm not. It's not interesting to me. I, I don't mm-hmm. find them enjoyable to watch and some people might say well that's sour grapes you'd love it if you were playing you know uh, winning four out of five um titles and yes of course i would but i i just find it impossible to separate myself from from what it really is if that makes sense it makes complete sense and i think that's a very healthy attitude to have and i think my own perception obviously when i report on them i try to put this at the back of my mind which is not always easy um, but saying that, I've always also present in mind the fact that this is a, a particular project um, which is based on a, a vision of sport uh, which I find execrable. Um, it is it is dirty money. Um, it is well, I say dirty money. I say dirty money because it comes from a country which has got an even worse human rights record than Qatar, which is something that is never said or not said enough. 
and that this is something which is completely uh, sports washed, put mm. under the carpet. They are never confronted by it or with it. And to be honest, they shouldn't be in football. The fact that they've created a team that is so successful, you could say uh, you can admire the way in which this has been put together. It, has, it is a very well thought out project. It's got some extraordinarily cap capable people in there. Um, they've got... They've also spent more money than anybody else in world football, apart from uh, PSG, I believe. Uh, we won't even talk about Barcelona because Barcelona is just mad <laughs> and it's different anyway. But they have put more money than anybody else in, uh, in English football. Um, they are paying higher wages than anybody else in English football. Yeah, okay, all right. I'm, should I get excited about that? No, not really, actually. And... And the fact is that Manchester City fans themselves, I think, are fully aware of it. And they live in a, a state of constant delusion. And they transform the fact that they themselves have got a problem with their own team. And they prefer to project that on the fans of other teams who actually look at them and say, you know, your titles are worth nothing. And, and so they get very angry. And this anger, um, which is, uh, in a way... Yes, this anger enables them to live with success because if they looked at themselves properly, they would see what this project is. They would actually question how it has been put together. And they would also question what people call the beauty of that team's play because I'm like you. It's a football that leaves me entirely cold. I just, just, just leave me cold. Um, and you know, yeah. and it's not because it's Manchester City and it comes from its golf money and so forth. Because for example, I'll tell you, I've seen... PSG play some football, which I thought was fantastic. And I don't have, because it's crazy. It's a bit crazy. There's a place for improvisation again. Mm. There is not this idea that everything has been repeated. I mean, the players, also, there are a lot, you know, I, Bernardo Silva, beautiful player. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, genius. Uh, Gundogan, I'd love, you know, I would love Gundogan. Come here, my friend. Yeah. Uh, you know, Joao Cancelo, what a fullback. And you carry on, you go through it, you think, wonderful players and whatever your feelings are about Guardiola as, as a person, as a character and also as a, a public person who I think totally fails to own and acknowledge where he, you know, what exactly he is doing and with whom mm -hmm. uh, you have to admire the incredible technician that no doubt he is and the thinker that he is, that you can do all those things. But then you must have also this, uh, you also have present in mind constantly everything that accompanies that and which in fact is the most important side of it. Just as the most important part of Newcastle uh, is, is that it is uh, built, it will be built with the money of a murderous regime. Though all the, and all the rest, I, can't, I don't care about Newcastle, I just want them to lose every weekend. With a vengeance. How do you view the stories this week that David Kahn wrote in The Guardian this week about uh, how there was government intervention to make sure that the yes. the Saudi uh, Public mm. Investment Fund takeover of Newcastle, um, and I, I want to be specific about that. It is the Saudi Public Investment Fund um, who are, are chaired by... Um, Mohammed bin Salman, Mohammed the crown bin prince. bin Salman, yes. You know, who... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, how do yes. how do how do we as football fans reckon with that? How do we come to terms with that? And look, I know this um, goes without saying, 
But, you know, we're uh, Arsenal were owned by um, real estate billionaire from the U.S., sports mm-hmm. magnate, whatever you want to call him. Uh, we're sponsored by Emirates. We have our shirt sponsor with Rwanda. Yep. There are all these things that we as football fans have to come to terms with, uh, the cognitive dissonance, whatever you want to call it. We're all there to a certain extent or another. But given what happened with Chelsea and given what happened with... You know, everything that's happened in the last little while, English football doesn't appear to have learned any kind of lesson in terms of who should own football clubs. I know they're private businesses and all of that kind of stuff, but it just seems like the things that could have been learned were just put to one side, and ultimately this just turns it into a bigger and better and grander and flashier and show busier version of the reality TV <laughs> of football of Premier League football. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, what can I say? Uh, so when the, so I, sorry, I, I just, can I just I finish my point one sec? Sorry. Sorry. I just want to finish my point for one sec. Go I just on. mean that, um, as Arsenal fans, we're looking for success. We're looking for a team that can challenge for the title. We're looking for um, to recapture the glory days, the old days, if you want to call them that, you know, be competitive again. And, and that's Mikel Arteta's aim. That's clearly his aim because he's talked about it time, time again. But is it realistic? Can it be realistic when the financial deck is stacked the way it's stacked and, like, it's Newcastle this time around? And, you know, who might it be next season? Who might yeah. it be the season after that? And uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think we can forget about that. I think the best we can hope for, uh, unless something changes drastically in the way that football is is managed and governed, uh, is that top four is the absolute top of our uh, ambition. And to be honest, it's going to be harder and harder because uh, there is absolutely no doubt that with the uh, financial clout uh, of Newcastle, uh, they will be uh, fighting for it perhaps as early as this season, but certainly two or three seasons, they should be there or thereabouts because when you put, again, you know, I go back to this simple equivalence, the more money you spend on players, the more successful you are. It's an absolute rule. There are no exceptions. The only exceptions are people who underperform because they are crap. Um, so like <laughs> you look at Manchester United, for example, they, they, they underperform it because <laughs> they're very badly managed. That's all there. But the moment they're well managed, they'll be back. And, and that, is a, that is a certainty. So as we cannot compete to that, and that Stan Krunker doesn't quite have the same approach to sport as, say, Todd Bully has, because Bully, as you know, uh, invested really big in the Dodgers and, and, and reaped the benefit. Uh, his fans also had to pay for it because the price of season tickets just went absolutely through the roof there. Uh, so Bully will do it. Krunker, it's not his aim. Um, or we don't think so. Maybe he's going to have a, a weird Damascene moment late in his life. Uh, as as a football franchise owner. Um, so, and I think we're coming to the moment, and it's clearer and clearer by the season, that we all have to ask ourselves some pretty big questions as to what we want to do with our love of football. I'm asking these questions my, to myself. 
I've been doing that for a long time, perhaps because of the nature of the journalistic work I do, the reporting I do. A lot of it is investigative reporting into uh, the not-so-nice side of football, let's put it that way. Yeah. And the more it goes, the more disgusted I am and the more I realize that it is uh, utterly rotten to the core. Um, and you think it cannot go it can go worse, but in fact, it, the stench gets even stronger. And and then you've got Newcastle arriving there. And and then there'll be others. Uh, there was talk of the Bahrainis as well, uh, getting into, uh, into football, buying a very big club recently. And you think, yes, what can we do about that? And the answer is, and then on the other hand, of course, you've got Florentino Perez, which is really lovely, as uh, of course. And, <laughs> uh, and and the prospect of the Super League, and then you get the reform of the Champions League, and you think, you know, what the heck is going on here? We've completely lost control of that. And yes, we have to, to ask ourselves questions. I mean, for me, it means not wearing a replica shirt. I don't want to be uh, promoting... Uh, the airline of um, a, a certain airline. I don't want to be promoting a country in which uh, people are thrown into prison for no good reason and tortured and, and worse. I don't want to be... Um, so I can think, as fans, we can do that. You notice perhaps that I try not to use only uh, when I my my tongue is, uh, is betrayed. I, I don't necessarily uh, refer to the stadium where we play our games by the yeah. name of its sponsor. And I think we can do that. I mean, these are very small things. And to be honest, in the grand, the great scheme of things, uh, they don't really matter. But maybe they make me feel a bit better about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a genuine problem. We don't have it, you know, with our club as much as others would have it. Uh, I, I, I would add as well the fact uh, uh, to that people um, whose shirts are sponsoring uh, betting co- corporations uh, about which I've. I shouldn't say too much because I know the libel laws in Ireland are quite strict. But, um, you know, we also, in a way, we are participating. We're willingly complicit with a side of the of the sports business, which is honestly disgusting. Mm-hmm. So it's everywhere. And so you end up, you know, I've asked myself, should I, you know, I've got a friend who is the chief executive of Lewis FC. And I've been there. I thought... Maybe I should become a Lewis FC member and be a fan there. It's a great club. They do things properly there. Or Sheffield Hallam, places like that, you know. Yeah, it is it is uh it is something we all we all have to wrestle with. I feel like we've kind yeah. of ended this what I thought was a you know, I think a, a very decent conversation, a good conversation about Arsenal and on a kind of a bum note, and that's not your fault or my fault, that's just actually just talking about the reality of of what football is. But you know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe Philippe um uh, you know, Liverpool have shown that if you're good and you're smart and you yes. do things well, you can compete. I mean, I think what what um, well, they've got loads of money too. Yeah, I mean, they, they do. Spend of a course, lot of money. But, and, yeah. but I have to say that the fact that you know when they've seen the Manchester City fans and and even their manager are complaining uh, all the time about that everybody supports Liverpool, which is certainly not true if you go to Manchester. Um, yeah. it, it, there is a reason for that. It's because Liverpool are I don't know they've got a human face. The football they play, the personality of their manager and so forth and of their players, we think actually, yes, that, oh, that's the kind of football we like, you know, and it makes you feel almost, it normalizes it. It also normalizes, uh, it makes people forget that I think over the last uh, five seasons it is, uh, 
or four seasons, Manchester City has gone past the 90 points in a season, ending once with 99 and the other with 100. That is just unbelievable. It's just so wrong. And and because Liverpool has been able to compete at that kind of level almost all of the time with different a different arsenal, so to speak, of weapons, we tend to forget the fact that City, the whole thing, the, the Premier League is not competitive. It's, yeah. it's, it's a fallacy. So, the, uh, yeah. the, the Premier League is a, is a league in which games are fairly contested. Yes. But in the end, those games, fairly contested as they are, are not competitive. The, 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 the league calendar is full of dead easy fixtures for Manchester City. They have, they actually gain more points. That's what I, I actually did the calculation. I'm sorry to go on about no, that. No, no, but, no, go. Uh, I did the calculation for a column that I did for, for Eurosport, which actually might not have been published yet. I had a look at the uh, number of points uh, accrued in the top leagues since uh, the uh, uh, Pep Guardiola arrived at, um, at Manchester City. To be honest, I could have gone be, be, before that because there was also the Pellegrinis, you know, mm. Manchester City was not exactly uh, unsuccessful and Mancini's either. So, but anyway, I chose Guardiola and I looked at, at the number of points they had accrued. And you know what? They've accrued more points, like points per game, because Bundesliga is only obviously uh, uh, 30, uh, 34 uh, games. More points than any other club in the world, which means that we keep talking about those other leagues which are not competitive because Juve or Bayern or Real or PSG are crushing, crushing, uh, eviscerating the opposition. Mm. Well, they do not dominate their league as much as Manchester City now does. And the only thing that makes us forget about that is the fact that Liverpool has been able to win the league once, yeah. once. What if that? What if this Liverpool team had not emerged? Like this generation of Liverpool side had not emerged, and it was Man City winning the title by 10, 12, 12 15, points, yeah, 20 points season you know. after season. Yeah. It'd be a very different conversation. People would be, I think, even more fed up. Uh, I think so. And, and uh, you know, my apologies if there are Manchester City fans who are listening to that by extraordinary, in extraordinary circumstances, probably because they've been. Uh, tied and put in the cellar uh, and with the he- you know, with headphones on. F- forced to listen to an Arsenal podcast, yeah. <laughs> but um, yes, I think we, in, in also, I, I would say the media are, are complicit. That's too strong a word. But I think there is, uh, there is no willingness to actually address that. I mean, more and more people are doing it. It's true. Mm. When you read what Miguel Delaney is, is writing about, when Jonathan Wilson is writing about, when Barney Roney, I mean, Jonathan Liu, actually, I'm talking about The Guardian and The Independent here. Um, and th- th- there are people who are voicing this, this opinion, you know, now, um, quite regularly. But on the other hand, you cannot spend your whole life. Imagine if you're a reporter, you're on the Manchester Beat, and you go to all the Manchester City games, you're not going to write the same piece 19 times, you know, in yeah. a season or 19 or 25 times or 35 times. Uh, so you, when you're talking about, you talk about what you see on the pitch. And I think as well that the aesthetic appreciation of, of Manchester City is completely warped. I do not understand it. 
I do not understand what's exciting about this team. I like to be excited in football, you know, and, and I don't understand it. I don't find them exciting. Hmm. I find them really impressive. I find them sometimes uh, quite admirable. But, and I absolutely love Kevin De Bruyne, and I love Bernardo Silva, and blah, blah, blah. I've, also, I've said all that already. But I'm not excited. I'm excited, on the other hand, by Mo Salah and Luis Diaz, by the way. Oh, my God, what a player. Or Sadio Mane, or people like that. Mm. I, I will be even excited if I see... I, dare I say that? When I see Song Hoon Min, I, I've got much more than admiration for him. I, I think he's a fabulous footballer, even though I, I have not a lot of time for the team that he plays for. And you don't get that with, with the boys in blue. And um, it's a project. It's a project. It's um, artifice in a way, like well constructed. Yeah, it's art- artifice, yes. Very smart, very intelligent. With with super smart, yeah, super smart, super efficient. Except in Europe, <laughs> which is also hilarious. Yes, um, yes. but it, if that is football, I really haven't got any interest in it. I really don't have any interest, uh, and and I have to to write about. It's fascinating to write about it from all sorts of angles because. In a way, the kind of football they practice is a football that is a project football, if you see what I mean. It's the kind of football that can be explained on a blackboard. Mm. And that makes a lot of sense when you think that it is a genuine project which has been thought, been thought in Abu Dhabi from A to Z with the help of countless consultants and so forth. In terms of we're going to get that technical team, we're going to do this with the stadium, we're going to do this with the training center, we're going to do this with the football group, we're going to earn, own uh, 10 football clubs or 15 football clubs on the planet and we're going to do this uh, with the youngsters and the academies all right? and everything is planned. And on one hand you think, wow, bravo, you know, I, not many people have got, you know, this the capacity to project themselves in the future that way and to be, and to apply what they've what they've imagined in, in practice, and they've done that. And on that side, they are worthy of a certain kind of admiration. Uh, admiration doesn't mean acceptation, by the way. Yeah. But on the other, you see the result and, and you, what it means for football. And the thing is, the Man City fans, you know, guys, I love some of you, but you are the most miserable lot on the, in the country. You're winning everything. You still moan all the time. It's, it's extraordinary. They're extraordinary. At least, at least when we moan, we're not winning most of the no, time. No, we're not yeah. winning, and we moan. It's like there, there is moaning and moaning, you know. Um, yeah. And and I don't think we moan about the, the thing about what the fans of other teams think of us, because to be honest, I couldn't care less. Mm. You know, which is why I can I have some very good mates who are Spurs fans, because I really doesn't don't care what he thinks about my club. And reciprocally. So mm. I've got some of my closest friends are Spurs supporters. And that's perfectly all right. On the other hand, I think I would find it very difficult to have this kind of friendship with a Manchester City supporter who also feeds on the fact that he think their team are hated. is hated. And it's not hate. It's just like it doesn't matter, not my friend. This, this is why you're so pissed off and you're so paranoid because you, you know it means 
absolutely nothing. You know that for all your titles, put them in, a, in an envelope, the one title won by Leicester is worth a pack of 50, 500 envelopes that you've got. <laughs> it's true. No, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree it's with true. you. It's true. You yeah, know, we I want know, romance, we want glory, we want all these sort of things. Uh, being fragile as well is another very important thing. And, and the only time I think when, you know, for example, one another reason why people, neutrals, are, are so um, taken, not just in, in, in England on the English-speaking world, but by Liverpool is because Liverpool are imperfect. Mm. And they, they are fragile at some. And, and, and it's great because it makes it exciting because there is, uh, I don't know, adversity to overcome, all these other things. It's great. Mm. And we are fragile. I wish we were fragile in a more Liverpool kind of way, <laughs> but we are. And yeah. in a way, the fact, you know, when you, it's squeaky bum and 95th minute, we're hanging on at 2-1 and, and we get 2-1. What a relief. It's, part, it, it's great. You feel great after that. I don't know. I mean, and they will never feel that. They will never feel that. Hard to feel that when you're 7-0 up against Aston Villa or Norwich or whatever it is. All right. Exactly, exactly. You yeah. need to lose more. If you, if you haven't lost, you don't know how to win. <laughs> all right. How are you feeling after that? Do you feel better? With yeah, it's, I, I, I thank you very much. You, you'll tell me how much I owe um, the, the therapy uh, clinic. Um, I, this one's on the I, house. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, that's great. And so, yeah, I feel, I feel much better about it. I, I, I have to say I feel quite positive and optimistic about, about Arsenal. And you know what? We haven't mentioned that, but I think the most important thing perhaps this season for me is that every time I've, I've been to, to the stadium, I have felt a crowd that had reunited with its team. Mm. And it's a great feeling. 100%. It's a great feeling. The stadium is noisier than it's been in years. Honestly, it is noisy at times. Uh, there are some people moaning, but most of the people are actually doing the right thing. They, they're much more engaged. They, they love their players quite clearly. Um, and the players actually, like, it's silly things. It's not silly, actually. Have you noticed how the players are much more willing now, rain or shine, win or lose, to go towards the fans at the end of the game? Yeah, yeah. And how the fans are staying longer at the game, after the game, to the whistle? Even on Sunday, Philippe, you know, after the Everton game, after the disappointment of what happened in the week preceding that game, the stadium stayed, I won't say 100% full, but I would say 80% of people yeah. stayed for the the lap of appreciation because I think they wanted to transmit to the players that they appreciate the effort, they appreciate the connection, they, they enjoy it, um, they want more of it. I think we all want more of that. We all want more success together and happy times together. And, um, you know, I think it's, it is quite something that despite the – pretty intense disappointment of, of what happened in the Derby and what happened against Newcastle. The good things that have happened this season have resonated or connected to a greater extent to the point that people just want to share that, that end of season yeah. vibe with the, with, with the players. And, you know, it, it's part of what we can build on for next season, for sure, you know, cultivate that, keep it going, make it noisy you know, I don't know that the Emirates is ever going to be like the the most intimidating stadium of all time, but I can tell you, you know, it can be a little morose sometimes and for good reason, as it has been over the last number of years. There have been, you know, periods where 
things haven't been going well, but we all know the difference. We can all feel when it's good. We can all feel when it's fun. And that goes for the players as well. And that is a lovely note to conclude our conversation with Andrew. Okay. I think. All right. Much more upbeat. Sure. Let's let's do that. Let's leave it there. Look, I really appreciate your time as always. Uh, hopefully we can catch up at some point during the summer as well. But uh, for now, you can lift yourself up off the therapist couch and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Philippe. Thank you very much, Sigmund. (laughs) (laughs) Always great to talk to Philippe. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at Philippe O'Claire, at Philippe O'Claire. It was a long conversation, so I'm not going to waffle too much at the end here. The season is over, so we don't have anything to look forward to uh, this weekend. There is, of course, uh, the Champions League final taking place between Real Madrid and Liverpool, which should be an excellent game. Looking forward to that, as I always do, to the uh, to the Champions League final. And look, I just want to say that after a brilliant weekend last weekend, and I had so much fun, it was great to see so many people, old friends and new, and to have a, an incredible experience. And it doesn't take much to be reminded of how lucky and how privileged you are to be able to do that and to enjoy that. The world can be uh, a devastatingly brutal place at times. And when you see what's happened this week in America with school shootings and all the other things that are going on around the world, all I can say is remember what's precious and remember what's important. And it can be very easy to get caught up in stuff which really at the end of the day doesn't mean a great deal. So whatever you do this weekend, do it well with your friends, with your family, with the people you love, if you can do that. And maybe to spare a thought for those who can't or who won't be able to ever again because of something horrific or random or whatever it might be. Thank you for listening, as always, for listening all season. We've got through another one. We've got another one coming up before you know it. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra. I hope you have a great weekend. I love you all. Mind yourselves. Look after one another. And I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Oh, hello. It's me. You know me. You might think, who the fuck is this guy? But let me tell you, you know me. It's that time of year, you see. Summer. The sun is shining. No, I'm not Johnny Hayfever, even though I think he does splendid work. Fantastic stuff. Who am I? I'm Trev Transfer. That's who I am. Like Cupid sitting on your shoulder bringing you love, except 
I make your brain rot with transfer rumors. There's no relief. I'm there every waking moment. I also haunt your dreams. I make you believe that a story in the Transfer Bible Tavern might be real, even though you know it's not. How could it be? I am the power behind your F5 button. Refresh. 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 Even though you've just checked news now, must check news now. And the best thing? Even when a transfer goes through and you've got that dopamine rush, it fades. And you want the next one. And the next one. The cravings kick in. The pangs. The wanting. And all the time, I'll be there. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.